are entering the Freedom Hut. It's going to be a free speech throwdown today, my friends. First off, we knew for a long time that the social media giant would begin censoring speech that they don't like. Well, now we're there. We'll talk about the big shot across the bow today for those on the right. Also, a T-shirt being sold that triggers the libs. Is there a business idea at work? I'll talk to producer Mike and others about it. And more information on that anti-white hire at the New York Times. Her tweets show a lot of racism. What else do we know about her? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Everything is implicitly organized around um, how men see the world. And, and not just men, how white men see the world. Um, and this is, this is a problem. This is why so many things suck. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Not sure if you're aware of that, folks, but uh, the reason things suck, according to the newest hire at the New York Times, Sarah Jong, is because of white men and how they see the world. That's why things suck. Hmm. I had no idea it was so simple, so straightforward. I guess we know how to solve things. Uh, just talk about how people are, are not good based on their skin color, as long as it's white people that we're talking about. Then you can say that, right? You'll notice that that's, it's only acceptable in that context. Anyone else, completely unacceptable. But white people you can put down uh, because they're white. And uh, this is something that the New York Times has doubled down on. Uh, they released that preposterous statement Uh, what was it, last week, where they were saying, well, it was in response. It was in response to other mean things online. Folks, uh, we are in a, even even if you listen to liberals right now, we are in a battle for the soul of the country right now, they will tell us. And we are certainly in a battle for the soul of the First Amendment right now. uh, Because they're not winning the argument. So now they're trying to find ways to cheat. They're trying to find ways to get around the argument and act like they want it. And they also won't be held to any principles in this fight. They will fight dirty. They don't care about the underlying principles of the First Amendment. Uh, What's the line from, Mike, I I might be misquoting, but I I believe it's a line from Dune. When I am weak, uh, I demand freedom because that is according to your principles and what I am strong I demand submission because that is according to my principles that's how the left operates it's, it's a brilliant statement I, I, it's, I believe it's uh, from, the, from the, the book Dune or something one of the Dune series but yeah when I'm weak I demand freedom because that's your principles when I'm strong I demand submission because that's my principles that's what the left does all the time that's really the left encapsulated right now especially on speech Is racism bad? Well, only when the left says it's bad. Is anti-white racism okay? Sure. They say that. Why? Well, they won't even make the argument. They won't be public about it. Not only does Sarah Jung not get banned from Twitter. Remarkably, she's left her tweets up. So people have gone further into it. And folks, it's a lot of cursing, a lot of anti-white stuff. I mean, she is has an irrational hatred of white people, as evidenced by her tweet. I'm not I don't think that's an overstatement. I don't think that's when you're saying 
the kind of stuff that she's saying publicly and leaving it up there, she's got a real problem. And I just played audio for you so you could hear yourself, you know, the world, the things that suck the most in the world, it's because of white men. That, that She gave that speech. That was at Harvard Law School, folks. That wasn't hanging out for a coffee with a bunch of, you know, her Antifa buddies. That was at Harvard Law School. She is now a writer at the New York Times, the most prestigious, at least in circles that talk about things like prestige publications, uh, the most prestigious newspaper in the United States, certainly on the left and, uh, and among the largest in, in circulation and thinks of itself as being a gold standard of, of journalism, big J journalism. Uh, we've got some other First Amendment issues, though, all coming to a head here. It is no secret to you that uh, I am not fond of the work of nor the person uh, of Alex Jones. I find him pretty grotesque and, and generally detestable in, in, in many ways. Okay? I'm not even that familiar with that much of his work. I just know enough of it to know that I don't like it. And he also, you know, he comes at me personally like a clown. And I don't think he'd ever say that stuff to my face. But nonetheless, you know, that's fine. He's allowed to say what he wants to say. And I'm trying to give him too much. Uh, of my time here, except when I make fun of him because he's crazy, he talks like this. But, you know, I don't, I don't get into all that. But, and I, I think those of you who have been listening to me for a while know that I've been saying this, and I've been talking about this for years. I've been talking about it for at least 18 months on a pretty regular basis now on this show, right, on my syndicated show. And it is that the social media giants, this is how the left reestablishes their control over the conversation. It's not by winning the argument. It's by it's by owning the playing field. That's what they that's what they're doing now. You're seeing this happen. And they're, they're it's happening in kind of fits and starts. They're trying to do this in an incremental way. But there are some places where they're going to bump up against reality and, and we're going to see it. And we've had one of those moments. Facebook Apple and YouTube have all removed Alex Jones pages and podcasts for hate speech policy violations. Okay, so those I would note if you are trying to build an audience in the digital space today and you're kicked off of Facebook, Apple and YouTube, you know, you you got like no shot. I mean, you're you're effectively as a content producer for all intents and purposes, you're off the Internet. I mean, you you got no chance of making a living, no chance of having any serious reach. That is how powerful these platforms have become. And I've been warning everyone, anyone who will listen, and, and I know that those of you who are, are, are listening to me for a while know that I've been saying this, and I don't mean to keep saying, well, I've been saying this, but you know, there's a reason I talk about things sometimes on this show that I know are not going to, oh, my gosh, you know, people are, are going to stop in their tracks and, who is this guy, Buck Sexton, on the radio? He's talking about how Facebook is adjusting the algorithm to privilege left-wingers over conservatives. That's really getting me fired up. Maybe some of you, but for some people, you know, they'd rather hear, oh, they're just, Mitch McConnell's betrayed the country again. You know, yeah, I get it. The, the, the rage theater, the outrage theater works for some folks, but this is, this is a big deal. It's a big problem, and this is where the left finally is able to reestablish what they had, and they didn't lose until the late 90s, which was the ability to control the conversation and the narrative and all the power and wealth that comes with it 
because they had a stranglehold on the media outlets in this country under the lie that they were nonpartisan and unbiased and just providing objective information, which is a lie. It's just a lie. Let's call it what it is. But then because of talk radio, you know, thank you, Rush, Sean, and others, uh, and because of the Internet, Drudge, and finally Fox News, the cable channel, you know, they all of a sudden there was this whole other 50% of the country had a media that they thought was reflective of how they see the world and what they think is going on and what they think is important that aligned with the public's editorial judgment, you could say. But Facebook, Apple, YouTube, these companies censoring speech, this is how we go back to the old way. Don't you see? They'll say this is just algorithms. It's content. It's it's politically neutral. It's just about content that is hateful or offensive. Hmm. All right. Is saying that radical Islam is, in fact, a textualist version of Islam that is practiced by, at a minimum, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of Muslims around the world, is that a racist and evil thing to say? Or is that just speaking objective truth that people don't necessarily want to hear? I, I, I don't know. How does the Facebook algorithm handle that? If saying that uh, illegal immigration... For all of the benefits we're told about how oh they're working in kitchens and hotels and service industry jobs and they're doing and, and on farms and doing these jobs that the American people won't do is, is saying that, well, yes, with that illegal immigration also comes MS-13 uh, gang members, among other uh, gang, you know, the Mexican mafia, which was actually around before MS-13. I mean, there are the cartels I mean there's a lot of stuff. Uh, and that involves you know, rape and torture and murder in this country on U.S. soil. Is is that hate speech or is that just talking about objective fact? You know, I'm particularly sensitive about this, folks, because, you know, I I can only say the things and do the things that I want to do in in terms of communication, in terms of analysis and sharing information. Uh, if if the if the in the digital world, at least there's something of an even playing field because because if the digital world shuts out conservatives, now now we're all at the mercy of of the 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 pompous, condescending left wing cowards at CNN at you know at, at the at the other broadcast networks. They're going to be the ones that that get to control things because it won't be based on what the public wants to hear. It'll be based on what a bunch of executives at major le- uh, legacy organizations decide the public should hear. This is a big problem. And that you have Facebook, Apple, and YouTube censoring Alex Jones, as odious as I find him, and the New York Times standing behind Sarah Jong, it it can't be about offensiveness, right? This can't be a question of who is stepping outside the lines. This is about partisan affiliation. Jones is thought of as being on the right. Jong is on the left. Therefore, exceptions are made. Well, those exceptions are going to be made in many ways. And this is going to become an unspoken reality in our day-to-day lives. This is, you know, for those of you who are like, Buck, I don't even have a Facebook account. I'm telling you, this is how they will control the future. This is how they will propagandize to your kids, to your kids' kids and their kids. And all of a sudden, everyone's going to be walking around, you know, why is socialism becoming more prominent? I, I've known this for years, by the way. There are leftists who are on Twitter and 
Twitter's been a particularly bad offender uh, where I'm like, there's just no way that they have this following and other conservatives I know have so such a smaller following than this person. It's just not, it doesn't make any sense. Now we find out, and how, how would we ever know, you know, who's who's showing up in search quickly, who's, whose tweets are, are appearing in feeds that will actually, are actually active, right? I mean, there's so many ways they can game the system. And they've been gaming the system. And we know this now through shadow banning and through censoring. You know, they, they, they've gotten so wrapped around the actual, they're, they're so utterly freaked out on the left over Facebook targeting in, with the Russians and, and Facebook memes that are spread around and all of the fake news stuff. And we'll talk more about the fake news t-shirt that they wanted to pull. That's coming up later on. But you and I know that the real problem is their control, is the left's control of the narrative here at home using those very platforms in ways that are not transparent, that are not honest, that we don't get to be just consumers in the marketplace. I don't know how stuff is appearing in my Facebook feed necessarily. It just appears there. What, are you going to write write them a customer support email? Good luck with that. I don't think they're going to give you back-end access to their algorithms. You don't know what's showing up in front of you. This is how people are consuming their news now. Increasingly, it's going to be on their mobile devices, which are even more social media platform heavy. What do we do? But now, now probably, you're probably saying, what do we do about this, Buck? What do we do? Well, the first step is acknowledging what's going on, understanding what's going on. Then we can move to what's next. And I will give you that and, and much more, including some violence against conservatives, I would note. We're talking about free speech. we got to talk about that, too. This left-wing delusion that the right is so mean and nasty and Trump is is creating a diff, a, a dangerous environment for cons, uh, for journalists. Meanwhile, I know a couple conservatives. I've got a, a conservative colleague here at the Hill who just got attacked today, just got attacked by a bunch of left wing loons for his beliefs. But but, you know, let, let's hear more about how Jim Acosta's feelings were hurt. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We have a packed show. Much more coming. Stay with me. So what kind of content gets blocked on Facebook? Uh, what, are you, what are you not allowed to, to run these days? What gets picked up by the algorithm? Well, political content for sure can, as we know. And not just the Alex Joneses of the world run into problems, folks. There have been a lot of conservatives who have had at least temporary demonetization on YouTube, uh, who have had uh, problems with Facebook as well, because these platforms are all now, the screws are tightening, which just increases their power, folks. It just gets worse. The more that they are intervening in this, the less free the speech on the platforms will be. I know they are private companies and they have a right to do this, but we need to be aware of it. Elizabeth Hang. Almost beat Jim Costa, who was, a, I think, a 14-year Democrat congressman out in California. Almost beat him in the open primary back in June. And uh, she's, you know, it could be a national-level news story if she, in fact, is able to defeat him this coming November in the, in the midterms. She wanted to tell folks about her family roots in the Cambodian, the, the atrocities going on in the Cambodian genocide. And so this was a bio piece. We'll just play a little bit of it. Play it. In Cambodia, under Pol Pot's Khmer Rouge, 
Being young and single often meant a gruesome life and likely death. They approached my father and in order to save his life, he said he was about to be married. They asked him, to whom? He pointed to the prettiest girl that he saw, having never spoken to her before. The soldiers approached her and she said yes. They got married the very next day. 41 years later, they're still the happiest couple I know. Great things can come from great adversity. So, it's an incredible story. Right? I mean, incredible. And those of you who know some of the history of what happened with Pol Pot and in Cambodia, uh, you know, she's really lighting a, lighting a candle in, in the darkness there with that story about her parents. That was that was banned from Facebook. They they said your ad wasn't approved because it doesn't follow our advertising policies. I'm looking at the screenshot right now. We don't allow ads that contain shocking, disrespectful, or sensational content including ads that depict violence or threats of violence. Facebook blocked that ad, folk, uh, that ad, folks, which is an incredible story, really powerful ad, political ad, because it it's talking about the Cambodian genocide. And so they think that they're doing society a favor by not letting us know about this. I mean, now you might say, Buck, well, yeah, they're they're tweaking it and they got to work on the algo, the algorithm and all. This is it, this is just you're seeing all the symptoms. Don't lose track of the overall disease. Digital censorship is how the libs reassert information dominance in this country there. I'm telling you, they want to do this. They don't feel bad about it. The same mentality that has uh, college professors agreeing with Antifa thugs on campuses, deplatforming people in terms of live speeches. They will want to deplatform as many prominent conservatives as they can. This is the tool that gets them back into power, and this is how they're going to counteract the Trump wave. I mean, I'm telling you, this is got an eye on the prize here. We've all got to be very aware of this. Uh, got conservatives getting attacked for their beliefs. No shock, but we should talk about it. Um, and uh, it's Candace Owen and uh, Charlie Kirk. We got that coming up. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. According to the New York Times, Trump has insulted someone via Twitter at least 487 times. Is there a point in which Twitter says this is a violation of our ethics? We're going to shut you down. Is there like a point where like Twitter is just like, hey, like, why don't you like shut it down? Because Trump is being such a meanie face. And I'm just like, whatever, like, I have my own show at MSNBC, and like, I don't like it when Trump says mean things about MSNBC. Yeah. No, I, I don't think that, I don't think that they're going to kick the President of the United States off their platform, Stephanie Rule. Uh, but notice where their heads are, folks. Automatically, he's going to go to the political. And, you know, there's, there's a, a buckism from way back when, those of you who are original Saturday Squad know exactly what I'm talking about. Remember that when I show up on Saturday and do a show for three hours? Those are magic. Those are magic times, my friends. 
John, who's who's running the board today for us in the Freedom Hunt, he was with me back then, so he remembers. I used to come in. I had worked Monday through Friday. I came on on Saturday for three hours, did a show. I didn't think anybody was listening. And in the beginning, basically nobody was. And then we grew that thing out until they're like, wow, this is the size of a of a large radio station, the, the audience that is gathering on Saturdays here. I thought, woo, that's pretty cool. Um, but I used to say this, and it's really true. You don't have to burn down every village to make the point. You only have to burn down one. And with conservatives and deplatforming and these efforts at winning the debate, you know, the battle of ideas by cheating, essentially, right? by skewing. You know, it's not that you're showing up on the playing field and saying, may the best man win. It's, well, how do I have it tilted to my side? How do I have the other guy, you know, running in knee deep in mud while I'm running on flat grass? That's what they're trying to do. And then they'll say, oh, see, we're just winning. We're, we've got the ideas that we're winning. And when you look at this more closely, you understand this is just going to get worse and worse. Um, but they're only going to have to do this a few times to have a very serious impact. They're not going to go after people right away that will rally uh, that will rally conservatives to their side. They're going to go after people like Alex Jones, who a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, you know, Alex Jones, that's that's not my problem. You know, I don't really care. You leave me here, the Illuminati, the Bilderbergs, the chemtrails. You know, that's right, dude. You're on your own. Uh, but no, actually, he's not on his own because I'm sitting here right now saying this is a big problem, saying that this is going to spread, and it's not an accident. I, th- I think that's where I, I'm really trying to hammer this home. They're not going to accidentally have conservatives targeted by this algorithm. May- maybe that, uh, maybe that, candidate that i played the audio for you out in california you know they didn't, they didn't necessarily mean to do it maybe it got caught in the algorithm who knows but you'll notice you don't hear these stories about prominent uh, prominent left-wing voices getting censored here never mind the fact that sarah jong at the new york times is keeping her job and and the left rallied to her defense oh we shouldn't fire people over old mean tweets that are racist oh is that the new standard i wasn't aware of that as the new sta- is that the new standard Okay, um, that's an important thing to to keep in mind here. And and then we have this other, you know, the, there's all these different components of free speech. So we've dealt with the tech platforms and all that for now, although we'll keep returning to this, as I've been saying, very, very, very important. Okay, and w- whether we, whether it's a sexy story or not, whether it gets people, ooh, tell me more, and oh, the country's being destroyed by the sellouts in the Republican Party, you know, other people can do that. Uh, I'm, I'm here to tell you that the, the deplatforming issue on digital is is huge. I haven't said that in a long time, right? Give me a break. But it is it is very very important. Um, then there's the issue of violence and who is creating an environment where anti speech violence could thrive, right? This is another part of this. And uh, here, here's what here's what I've got to say on this. First of all. I, I'm not I'm not letting go of the fact that the only mass assassination of congressmen that has occurred in my memory uh, was a Bernie Sanders supporter against specifically conservative members, not just Republicans, the Freedom Caucus, conservative members of Congress. Okay, So I don't really want to hear lectures from the left about how they're so scared because somebody might do something to them one day when as conservatives, we walk around knowing that if you're in a place like D.C., which is, I think, the second most liberal, I didn't even realize, it, the second most liberal metro area after San Francisco in the whole country, the swamp where I'm coming to you live right now. 
second most liberal one. We're the ones that have to walk around and worry about our worry about our safety. But uh, some of you will be familiar with with the following: Charlie Kirk and Candace uh, Candace Owens. Uh, Charlie Kirk is actually a a contributor on Hill TV, so he he joins me once a week here on the show, and he has Turning Point USA, and it's this big organization of young conservatives, and uh, they, they do they do some pretty amazing events across the country. Um, Charlie and and Candace Owens. Oh, I'm not saying there were you know everybody who comes on this show in the early days. When other people like, who's that person? They come on the show and then, you know, and then all they go, oh, well, I had them on, you know. I had Professor Jordan Peterson on before anybody really knew who he was. I had Candace Owens on before that many folks knew who she was. I'm Look, they're highly talented. I'm very happy with them, their success. I'm just saying I got an eye for talent. That's all. You know, I, I see this stuff early on. Um, there are people that are going to be on my Hill TV show. You'll see some of them and they're they're going to go on to do big things. Trust me. Charlie, uh, Charlie among them, I think. Um, but Charlie and Candace were in Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, which producer Mike, your Philly guy, is it ironically named? I feel like, is it brotherly love courtesy of a knuckle sandwich? <laughs> it's a lot of rough stuff in Philly, you know? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of good people there, but uh, it's, uh, you know. It I don't has, know. It doesn't has, make the news that much for the love. It makes the news... For yeah. sports and crime. Yeah. But maybe that's the local news everywhere now that I think about it. It's true. We're not Chicago. That should be our new lo- that should be it, our new no, motto. Philadelphia, hey, we are City not, of, hey. not as rough hey, as Hey, we're not Chicago. That's a good point. That's a good point. Although I think what is it? Is Chicago is it the deep is it Polish sausage or deep dish pizza that is the true native cuisine of Chicago? Which is the real you know New York it's bagels, right? I mean you kinda of go around regionally. We got better food than just bagels, but bagels is kind of the New York thing. I don't know, deep dish, and we have the best pizza in the country. Yeah, you have the in best general, pizza, but definitely. You have the best pizza in the country. Chicago, I always thought was deep dish. Deep dish. All right, I'll take it. I had a college roommate who used to get. He was a Chicagoan. I actually had two Chicagoan college roommates, uh, and they uh, one of them used to have big like a big box of Polish sausage sent to him by his parents because he couldn't get good Polish sausage. I was. I will say you grill them. They are delicious. Uh, back to important things here with the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. What happened here? Uh, they were having breakfast, I think. Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens. And they're having breakfast. And sure enough, some left-wing folks found them. I don't know if they're officially Antifa. Remember, Antifa is, is really more of a political affiliation than an actual group, right? It, you become Antifa when you say you're Antifa. It's kind of like behind. It's kind of like being a jihadist. They'll like that one. Antifa, kind of like being a jihadist. And and Charlie and Candace were were up in Philadelphia today, and they uh, well we've got some audio from. We, did we bleep out, John? We bleep uh, Mike. Sorry, I know I, they always look at me. They're like Buck. We got you. And you guys have never you guys have never made a mistake on that one. But I just I don't want the potty mouth. You know, people listen to the shows with their kids here. I don't want potty mouth going over air. Um, but all right, so so Turning Point USA founder Charlie Kirk and his communications director Candace Owens uh, were at a Philly restaurant, and a bunch of protesters allegedly aligned with Antifa surrounded them outside. And this is what it sounded like. Play it. They're not Nazis. They're soft fascists. They're the soft fascists. Ready? One, two, three. 
Enough, enough. Sorry about that. I just so you get a sense of. And one of them came up and and threw a uh, glass of water, or a, a poured you know poured a, a water bottle or something out on Charlie Kirk. Now look, it's assault. You can't do that. I'm not. I'm not going to say it's not the same as you know punching somebody and breaking their nose, but it's assault. You, you're not. You can't walk up to somebody on the street that you don't like and just douse them in water. That's uh, that that's a problem, and that's that's illegal. That's assault. So they did assault him. It's on video. And there's all these police that gather around them. And then Antifa, I mean, they, they must have used social media to create essentially an anti-turning point flash mob, which is what this was. And they're all yelling, and they're chanting things like Nazis and soft fascists and blank. Um, it sounds kind of like they're yelling my name, but it's not my name. White supremacy. Um and, uh, you know, that, that's, that's what they're, that's what they're doing in this video. They assault somebody. They're chanting about white supremacy and Nazis. Candace Owens is black in case some of you don't know that, uh, because we can't show you the video, but can, we had her on the show, gosh, almost a year ago with, uh, you know, red, red pill, red pill black, uh, was the name of her YouTube channel at the time. And, you know, Charlie, I know Charlie was on my show last week. His whole thing is bringing together college kids and tell them, you know, if you're a conservative, you're not a weirdo on campus. It's actually okay. Uh, free markets and capitalism and liberty and Trump are all good things. Let's talk about it. That's all he's doing. They're calling that white supremacy. Remember, remember what I, I will return to this later in the show as well. White supremacy, a term that they have now redefined to include anything that they don't like. Fascism, they throw that around. And then they get very upset when people point out that, well, the fascists were for big government, big state, and of the political left. That fascism is a branch of the collectivist tree along with communism, Marxism. Yeah, that's right. They don't like to hear about this stuff. There's a nationalist component to fascism, and nationalism and uh, right-wing extremism are things that people often put together but fascism ideologically has much more in common these things don't line up exactly but much more in common with the left than the right and Dinesh D'Souza's movie makes that point Dinesh makes that point Jonah Goldberg made that point in liberal fascism and the history you know they can't this is like yeah that's right Democrats the party of formerly the party of slavery segregation Jim Crow and the KKK this is a fact those are facts they are not arguable and they don't even try to argue those facts. They just get mad when you when you bring it up. But who are these imbeciles that are gathering around Charlie Kirk and, and Candace Owen? Look, this is what I've been saying to you. I walk around D.C. and I'm just waiting for somebody to, to you know mouth off. And, you know, some little Antifa punk would not want to pour a bottle of water on me. That would be a bad idea. I, 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 I am surprising to people when they get on the wrong side of the buck. I can tell you that. They, they are often surprised at what they're dealing with. And, you know, Charlie's doing this now, Candace and others. 
But I'm just wondering, where are the, the, the weepy-eyed, where's Jim Acosta? Oh, my gosh, these are just conservatives that are just, like, trying to speak about their ideas. Like, why are we mobbing them and threatening them and attacking them? Oh, no, that's right. That's just for elite journalists. Can you think of a, of, of a young left-wing pundit that has been assaulted and, and uh, mobbed and threatened and cursed at and had people chanting for the crime of sitting down to have lunch in a major American city? I'm willing to bet the answer is no. But I, I promise you, if Trump tweets out something with the fake news this week, CNN will go, oh, my gosh, he's hurting our feelings. He's so terrible. Trump, you beast, you. <sighs> That's why you have to come listen to the show. It's really just a sanity break for us. It's a sanity break for me. I hope it is for all of you. This, this is my sanity time when I get to just say exactly what it is and what's going on. Uh, 844-900-2825. You want to chat? Uh, we've got much more coming uh, including the Iran sanctions that are snapping back into place tonight and uh, a whole lot more, team. So stay with me. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is so concerned that people aren't nice to her. And people like me think not that she should be harassed. That yeah. was a lie. But shunned. The reason is that she lies she attacks our free press no respectable employer should hire her after this term no university no news outlet she has lied and she has endangered the lives of reporters that's why she should be shunned not harassed she should be shunned Hmm. jennifer rubin so she should be shunned uh first of all jennifer rubin being uh, called a conservative on TV is one of the funniest things that I continue to see happening. Oh, yeah, Jennifer Rubin, that person that no conservative I know likes, respects, or wants to read. But let's keep saying that she represents the right somehow. She has no constituency that I'm aware of other than never-Trumpers who vote Democrat now. But uh, let, let's keep pushing out there. Conservative columnist Jennifer Rubin. But notice that point at the end she makes. Don't hire her. Don't give her jobs. Notice another theme here in the Freedom Hut. One I tell you is very important. Do not underestimate its power. There are always jobs for these soldiers in the ideological wars of the left. There are always positions available at universities, on the boards of companies, at different media organizations. You will always be taken care of. Just carry the water for the left. You know, fight the fight the evil fight for Planned Parenthood instead of the good fight. Um, stand stand up for collectivism and the lies of the big elite media, and you will always be taken care of. Um, they will be there for you to make sure you are you are clothed and fed handsomely. You know, not just a little bit, but you'll be you'll be fine. And if you're a conservative on the other side, you know you better you better hope that the uh, a couple of places that are very competitive keep you or you keep your jobs there because if they, you know, if uh, if you have to go out there in the open market or if you try to teach at a university. Do you know how much easier it is to get a job coming out of a Democratic administration than a Republican one across the board? It's insane. Why is that the case? So that's, I think, uh, something that we need to keep in mind. Rose in Ohio wanted to get you in. We only got about 30 seconds. Oh, I can make it quick. How are you, Buck? I'm good. How are you? Anyway, two solutions to two problems. Give me one one. because we got 20 seconds. 
uh, tell Sarah Jong to throw everything out of her house and her driveway that was ever constructed or invented by a white guy. Number two, uh, anytime there's a demonstration again against the wall and for illegals to come in, mandate that each protester take home a family. Interesting. Thank you, Rose. Do you want a bunch of wannabe antifas playing around with the foam on your latte when all you really need is some delicious all-American coffee to get your day started? Come on, my friends. Drink Black Rifle Coffee. Stay away from that weak sauce commie coffee. You don't need it. You don't want it. Black Rifle Coffee gives you the option of drinking delicious small batch roast-to-order coffee that is brought to you by veterans of the United States Armed Forces. These are awesome, guys. I drink Black Rifle Coffee every single day. In fact, we keep running out of it in the office, and I want to get a an office-wide subscription going here because we've got so many people drinking Black Rifle. We might as well be the Hill.com sponsored by Black Rifle right now in terms of how much coffee we're drinking here in the, uh, the commissary. Check it out for yourself. Have it delivered. Become part of the coffee club. That's what I do. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash B-U-C-K. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One Make, Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. It's a 20-minute meeting. It ended up being, you know, about essentially nothing that was relevant to any of these things. And, you know, that, that's all it is. And that's all they've got. And, you know, that is, I guess, the ultimate distraction from what's really going on uh, in this country, which is you have a Republican president, a very conservative president who's getting stuff done. And they can't handle that. They will do anything they can to try to stop that, to try to block that, to try to prevent that from happening. After two years uh, of you know nonstop investigation with everyone in the media, everyone in the FBI, everyone, the, whoever, it, the whole world is looking at this. They have yet to produce anything that even remotely resembles what they've been talking about. There's Donald Trump Jr., folks. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. You know, this, there's some very important points made here in, uh, in his response to all the outrage of the week. And, oh, my gosh, Trump said the meeting in Trump Tower was about dirt. Oh, no. Democracy at risk. I don't think so. I think when we take a moment, we sit back and think about this a little bit. Nothing changes. In fact, there's really nothing new here. Trump had already stated a while ago that oppo was a possibility, that information on Hillary was a possibility in this meeting. I'm sure that, you know, in in the telephone game of, this person wants to chat with you. He's got whatever that also raised the issue of Russian adoptions, which was part of the uh, Magnitsky Act, Act uh, discussion. So those are wondering. Magnitsky is named for Sergei Magnitsky, who was a tax attorney who worked with Bill Browder, who was at one point the largest foreign investor in Russia or was for a number of years. The Russians accused him of running a tax scam. His tax lawyer did not flee the country. Browder's other people did. Magnitsky stayed behind, was imprisoned, tortured and murdered by the Russians. The U.S. Congress passed the Magnitsky Act, which freezes assets abroad of human rights abusers. The Russians, in response, uh, eliminated U.S. adoptions of Russian babies. And that is quite a rundown that I just did from the top of my head, which I got to say was pretty good. 
Now you know what's the uh, Magnitsky Act and the, how that affects adoptions and how that stuff all ties together. Uh, but was that also a part of the discussion or was that part of the, the pitch? Sure. Why is it always left out of these media reports that Natalia Veselnitskaya? I don't know how you. Yeah, I think. Or is it Veselnitskaya? I don't know. Probably like that. Veselnitskaya. Why is it left out that she, one, wasn't a government agent? So they keep saying, you know, a foreigner, a foreigner. She wasn't a government agent. And two, she has ties to Fusion GPS. Oh, we think that's a. Does everybody have ties to Fusion GPS, folks? Remember, Fusion GPS put together the dossier, right? Fusion GPS hired Christopher Steele, who put together the dossier, which was the basis for all this crazy town nonsense surveillance that's been going on. Were you, or do you have, you listening to this right now, do you have connections to Fusion GPS? I don't have connections to Fusion GPS. We're, we're, that's a coincidence that this Russian woman who went to the Trump Tower meeting also was involved with Fusion GPS in some way, has connections to Fusion GPS. Oh, wow. Yeah, sure, I, I believe that. I believe that. Got some uh, wonderful beachfront property to sell you in Nebraska. Before you sign, I'm sure there are some lovely lakes in Nebraska. You know what I mean? I mean beach-like ocean. Pretty sure there's no ocean front there. Uh, so... They're all upset about this meeting still. They're still they're still a little tizzy about this. And and as I keep pointing out or keep saying, well, one, I don't like the way you know, you'll notice I didn't leave the show with this today. I'm not going to spend too much time on it because they got nothing. Trump Jr. there, Donnie Trump Jr. made two very, very important points. One is that at this stage of the game, the reason they're regurgitating what we already know, what they got all outraged about before was that they're going into these spasms of, oh my gosh, what if we don't actually have a collusion case? What if we can't even come up with an arguable collusion case? What if this is all we got? And I think they're realizing it is all they got. Well, now they have to hyperventilate over it. They have to try to make this a bigger thing than it is because otherwise, what have, what have, we, what have we been put through? I mean, you go back and you look at the coverage of Though that, that CNN has put on the air for the last year and change, year plus, it has been Russia collusion, Stormy Daniels, Michael Avenatti, Mueller probe. That's what they've been. And, and occasionally Trump tweeted something outrageous or something that they don't like or that, you know, someone said someone said something that they that they object to. That's it. Nothing. It's like nothing else has been happening in the world. You know, it's not like the economy is incredible. It's not like. Things are uh, going very well in this country, and we're not starting any big, unnecessary wars. You know, you look at this, some very important things that Trump has been accomplishing. Uh, but they're, they're leading us to believe, or rather they're leading themselves to believe, that the Trump team is a bunch of bumbling fools, but also they've been able to hide that smoking gun of collusion up to this point. They've somehow been able to hide this. Mueller, all these people, they can pull anyone's phone records, their email. They put them under oath if they say anything even remotely untrue or maybe even that's just borderline in its truthfulness. They'll go to prison for it. And with all of that, they can't get they can't get any real evidence of collusion. We're supposed to think that that it exists. My friends, how, how could this have happened? N now start to really think this through. Well, what's what's even the theoretical basis? For this collusion claim. 
You know, try to come up like like you're a screenplay writer. Okay, Buck, here's how they come forward with the evidence that that there's an email between, you know, uh, Kushner or Donald Trump Jr. or somebody and uh, a Russian with ties to the Kremlin saying what exactly? We're going to hack the emails and, and unless they're unless they took an active step in the hacking process. There's no crime. And this is where the liberals really have a problem. Because even when you play this out and, and, and create a worst case scenario for the Trump team that I can almost guarantee you didn't happen. Right. But even if you try to get really creative and think of it. That's not enough for a criminal charge. Despite what some of the baffled and befuddled CNN anchors may think about this this meeting at Trump Tower, play 14, please. I think to me there are two big important things here. First of all, the law, which says that's a big one. It's illegal to take anything of value yeah, from someone foreign. Yeah, that's that. Let, I feel that's an open and shut case. Let's, that that point. Let's put that up. Let's put that up. Just so people can see the actual law here. This is. U.S. Code 30121, Contributions and Donations by Foreign Nationals. Federal law makes it a crime for any person to solicit, accept, or receive a contribution of anything of value from a foreign person or U.S. political campaign for the purpose of influencing any election for federal office. I mean, what more really is there to talk about after that? I mean, what what is there really? What is there really to talk about? I I don't know. Camarata. Okay, how about this? A thing of value, folks. They're now, you know, they, they, the, the legalese, a thing of value here. That's going to include what somebody says to you about somebody else. That's now considered a, a thing of value, huh? Huh. Interesting. So let's let's take the liberals at their at their word here. Uh, let's let's assume that their their interpretation, which I will tell you right now, is is constitutionally overbroad. If anything is constitutionally overbroad. I mean, this is like. There was a statute for honest services fraud, which, no surprise, liberals abused against conservatives. And Scalia had to ask the, uh, you know, the the federal prosecutors who like to use this or the the, the guy who was representing the, the federal government in the case. So does honest services fraud mean if you get a nice table at a restaurant that, you know, has a connection to a company that you're involved in? That is that is that an honest service fraud? Because now you're. Your view of that company has been affected by you getting a nice table at a restaurant. Nothing free, just you get like a good table. They're like, well, you know, maybe, maybe that's honest services fraud. So everything is, you know, somebody says something nice to you from a company and you're supposed to be a neutral arbiter as to whether or not you're going to give that company your business. You know, they say, you look great today. So, you know, we'd love to have your business. Well, you know, got to give the shareholders my honest services. I mean, it was preposterous and they struck it down. Came up in the Conrad Black case, but I'm getting a little in the weeds here. Um, this notion of a thing of value as information from anybody who happens to be a foreign, uh, a foreigner, not even necessarily from a foreign government, a foreigner, that would mean that if Trump was involved in an illegal real estate deal, let's say in Russia and the Hillary Clinton campaign had, or, or, or you know, journalists working in this country, sat down and spoke to people in Russia about what had gone on, about this alleged illegality. That's information from a foreign source. You can't use that. It would, and I know this is this sounds so dumb, but this is, this is why their position is so stupid. 
It would mean that you could not use any information from any foreign source in a campaign whatsoever. So whatever a, a person did overseas, you know, let, let's say Bill Clinton ran somebody over with his car while while Hillary was running for office. Right. I'm just now this is a obviously this is a make believe example. But let's say Bill Clinton ran somebody over this car. If the campaign of Donald Trump sent people to the let's say it happened in the Philippines, okay, and sent people to the Philippines to talk about how this happened. That information clearly would be a thing of value, but it would be coming from a foreign source that would be inadmissible by the campaign as a as a campaign donation. The only way around this, I guess, is it would have to be laundered through journalists. But now we get into the whole thing of, well, our journalists, you know, if they pass along to the campaign, is, do they have to, you know, that's not a, con- a campaign contribution. I mean, it starts to get very weird. Well, part of the problem here is that liberals always want to restrict speech under the guise of keeping money out of politics. They just want to be the ones controlling who gets to say what and when. That's why campaign finance, McCain, Feingold, all these things are a disaster. That's why liberals supported the side in the Citizens United case, which is the Citizens United foreign money in elections, right? They used to yell about that. The, the, the people that were opposed to the Citizens United side were willing to say that, yes, in advance of an election, you can ban a book. And we all know that liberals would do that to conservative books, but conservatives weren't going to do that to liberal books. And they know that, too. It's always is a one-way street of abuse. But this notion that it's a, it's a thing of value, that Trump got a thing of value from a, a, a Russian woman. First of all, there was no thing of value. So you got to start with that. There was no information. So now you're, you're, you're going to claim, what, conspiracy to, to go around election law that people aren't even sure is law, and many people would strenuously constitutionally object to being considered law. You're, I, mean, I mean, folks, this is pathetic. It's pathetic. Oh, but there's an open and shut case. Uh, Oh, and then you have the other little problem, which some of you are probably already yelling this at your smartphone or your radio or however you're listening. Hopefully all the different ways. Here's the other, or your computer, perhaps. Hillary's campaign hired a foreigner to work through foreigners to get oppo research. So now now if, if you pay for it, it's okay? as long as you declare that through a payment, but they only declare the payment to the intermediary. So under the Hillary Clinton campaign rules, let's just, let's just see this one through folks. If Donald Trump Jr. And, and taking everything that they say is being true. And by the way, I I reject what the left and the anti-Trumpers are saying on this, but let's assume it is all true. Jared uh, Cohen and Donald Trump Jr would be completely within their rights under Hillary Clinton team rules and what the media is saying here to pay somebody uh, to go and sit in with that with, with Veselnitskaya and get whatever information she wants to offer up as long as they claim not the meeting with Veselnitskaya on any official forms but that they paid somebody to do research for them and does, does, does any serious human being think that that makes any sense or is fair or is legal or is constitutional? They're grasping, folks. They're grasping because they're desperate. They're desperate because their side is losing the argument and losing the American people. And I hope, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, I really do hope that they are unable to take the House, the Democrats can't take the House or the Senate because 
their whole worldview now is wrapped up in Trump is so terrible, Trump is so awful. Can you imagine if after two years of Trump being president, who they claim isn't even isn't even president, his party manages to stay in power? I don't think they'll be able, I think that there's some of them will just have like spontaneous combustion or something. They will not be able to process this. But their arguments on this are garbage. I just want to make sure we're all clear. Their arguments on this are utterly, completely garbage. Um, we have much more coming, my friends, including later on the sound. We're talking. What do the Democrats offer to those that they say should uh, vote for them? What is what is their what is their pitch right now? Uh, we'll also discuss the Iran situation. A little bit of a buck brief on national security that's coming up. What we can expect from Iran. We'll make fun of uh, Cuomo, not Bro Cuomo, Governor Cuomo. Uh, I like Governor Cuomo. Governor Cuomo is more fun to talk about. Uh, and we have a whole lot more, so please stay right there, team. Be right back. So that was audio from a shooting that happened at the Isaac Campbell Park in Titusville, Florida. Uh, it was at a back-to-school event, and there were some of this was live-streamed. You could see people at a park, you know, barbecuing, enjoying themselves, hanging out. Back-to-school event. Uh, you know, women and children all over the place. I played that audio for I know. We wanted to get your attention for a second. The good news is that no bystanders were hurt. You know, you had 12 shots ring out there. And this is a story you will not hear in very many places because a good guy with a gun stopped a bad guy with a gun. You had someone come back to this event, apparently after some kind of a fist fight, came back to the event and uh, drew his weapon and started shooting wildly into a crowd of people. Now, you could say, Buck, maybe that individual, he was just trying to settle a score with somebody, but you know, if you had your 10-year-old or, you know, your, your 12-year-old son, your 10-year-old daughter, and they were at this event, you wouldn't care that the maniac was only trying to hit the one guy that he didn't like while he's, you know, rattling off round after round, right? You just want someone to step up and protect you and all the rest of the innocent bystanders. And, well, actually, a lot, a lot of you listening, I know it's actually, Buck, I'd be the one stepping up, and I know that's true, but you know what I'm saying. And someone did hear a legal concealed carry permit holder in the state of Florida, drew his firearm, and with accurate fire, took down the threat who was rushed to a hospital in life-threatening condition. I'm guessing probably hit somewhere in center mass. Uh, nobody nobody that day, I'm obviously all a little shook up, a little, a little traumatized from what happened there, but no one, no one that day lost a family member who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, Nobody has to go stand over their child's casket at a funeral. Why? Because a good guy with a gun was on the scene. A legal, Second Amendment-supporting American was there. And, you know, you just wonder how, how many lives perhaps were saved in this instance by this concealed carry permit holder. Had he not been there, how many people would have been hit? Certainly, you would think the guy who was the initial target of the of the rage here would be hit, right? But... Who else? Maybe somebody runs at the wrong place, wrong time, or somebody tries to run and help him from once he's been shot. 
None of that happened. Tragedy averted here because of a good guy with a gun. And I just, you know, you won't hear enough of these stories elsewhere. I like to bring them to your attention here on the show because this needs to be a part of our debate and our discussion going forward on this stuff. And that the press suppresses this information is just more evidence, not that we need any more at this point, of their anti-Second Amendment bias. Uh, Iran sanctions are coming back. We've got a buck brief on national security. That's in just a moment. Liberty, truth, and great hair. The Buck Sexton Show is back. You are now entering the Freedom Hunt Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. They're clear. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. Well, when they come back into effect tonight, we've really already seen some of the uh, uh, implications. The pressure on the uh, Iranian economy is significant. The value of its currency is going through the floor. Uh, we've seen public reporting of massive flights of capital out of Iran. The elites are getting nervous. Our policy is not regime change, but we want to put unprecedented pressure uh, on the government of Iran to change its behavior. And so far, they've shown no indication they're prepared to do that. Uh, the president's made it clear repeatedly that he viewed the Iran nuclear deal as one of the worst in American diplomatic history. I thought he was right on target on that. We are not going to allow Iran to get nuclear weapons. They're, they're changing things up, folks. This White House not playing the game the way the Obama administration did with Iran. And now you've got the uh, reimposition of sanctions tonight. As many of you are listening to this show, uh, it will be just hours away, depending if you're a podcast or live listener, hours away from uh, from being a reality here. So the economic penalties that were in place back because of the Obama nuclear accord from 2015, those are going back. Those are going back, back folks. I would note that Obama made it, and this was a, a purposeful part of the the nuclear accord that the uh, Obama administration was just hell-bent on getting. They made it so that the sanctions getting put back in place are, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. So we'll have to see how this goes. I'm sure there will be some, some issues that need to be addressed. Uh, but you got Europe saying that they believe that the Iran deal is, is critical. They say that Tehran is complying, and the Europeans are not necessarily willing to go along here. No, no surprise. You know, Europe has been living in a world of America's security for long enough now that they, they forget that bad things happen when you make deals with very bad people who lie. And remember, this isn't just hoping that the Iranians, if the Iranians complied with everything in the deal in 10 years, they'd be, or maybe it's 15 years, they would be able to get to full nuclear breakout capability. The deal would be gone. So there's nothing about this deal that caused the Iranians any pain. It was horribly negotiated. There is no part of what the Iranians agreed to that was difficult for them. All that they did was pause things. All right, we'll hang out. Thanks. Let us get much richer, much more powerful, do all kinds of uh, of preparations for our nuclear future and then and create a land bridge. Remember, Iranian national security strategy is to use proxies, carve uh, carve outs, you know, cutouts, other forces and, and client regimes to create a Shia crescent that will stretch from Iran itself deep into South Asia using the, the Taliban 
as as proxies. Uh, and then also far west, all the way across the Near East to the Mediterranean through Shia militias in Iraq, the Assad regime in Syria and Hezbollah in Lebanon, just all Iranian. And, oh, and by the way, also the Houthis in Yemen, stretching deep into the Arabian Peninsula. So Iranian tentacles of influence are extending further all the time now. And once you add to that an umbrella of nuclear protection, you've got a very big problem on your hands. So Trump isn't waiting for that. It would be easier to wait for it, folks. It would be easier for him to say, you know what? My predecessor negotiated this deal. Why don't we just why don't we just sit back and let that be the let that be the reality? Let's not fight this one anymore. Uh, at least not for now. Uh, but Trump is saying he's not going to leave this. He's not going to leave the mess for the next guy. Obama excelled in that. The Obama administration's foreign policy, where it wasn't an abject failure, where the Obama administration wasn't taking a giant belly flop into the shallow end of the pool on foreign policy, they were saying, eh, "I'll leave the mess for somebody else to clean up." And in some ways, those were actually the smartest things they did because at least they didn't make things markedly worse. They just let them deteriorate on their own. Things could be unpredictable with Iran. There was just a major military exercise in the Straits of Hormuz uh, last week or so. The Iranians have these small but pretty nimble and tough-to-stop boats that operate in the Straits of Hormuz. Remember, it separates the, uh, the Persian Gulf from the Arabian Sea. And once you once you get into this area, you're talking about 20 percent of the world's 20 uh, percent of the world's oil transiting through there every day. OK, 20 percent of the world's oil. So it's a major choke point. And at the narrowest, it is 30 miles across. So it, you not only can you have ships that are that could attack uh, oil tankers. But even shore-based missiles could very easily hit uh, these tankers and cause a massive crisis. Now, there's no way the Iranians could do that without taking huge risks to, one, their, their national security, and also the very oil market that is their only economic uh, output of any real consequence. I think Iran, it's, I'm not trying to be funny, I think it's uh, oil... And then after that, pistachios and carpets. I mean, the, the, for, for export. Iranian export is not something that can sustain them. And, and without the oil markets, their, their economy is toast. So the Iranians are, are saber-rattling. There's no easy way for them to do this without really hurting themselves. But you, know, you never know. It depends on what the mullahs uh, think. You know, as the long, why, have all these, why have all these exercises in the Persian Gulf if... They're not at least thinking about doing that at some point, right? I mean, if they can't threaten it unless it, it, the threat doesn't work, unless we believe there's some willingness for them to follow through on the threat. So that, that's why we've got the Trump administration now taking this very seriously. And the uh, secretary of state, Mike Pompeo, demanding that Iran end all nuclear enrichment and development of nuclear-capable missiles, release all American citizens, end its support for Hezbollah, Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and Houthi militias, and withdraw its forces from Syria. So if there's going to be an Iran deal, guess what? Iran has to actually stop being a giant pain in the butt for the entire world, and, and us and Israel especially. 
then we can talk oil. Then we can talk nuclear deal. But we're not going to let them do all the bad things they're doing and give them protection for their nuclear program while they get richer and stronger with conventional military, only to break out in a nuclear capacity later. Trump sees that for what it is. The sanctions go back in place tonight. I have a problem, guys, with that phrase, identity politics. Because let's be clear, when people say that, it's a pejorative. That phrase is used to divide and it is used to distract. Its purpose is to minimize and marginalize issues that impact all of us. It is used to try and shut us up. So that's uh, Kamala Harris and... uh... I got to tell you, there's a reason you're not hearing more about her and why she's not doing more media. I just don't think she's a I don't think she's a national level contender. I just don't think she's a contender for the presidency. I mean, that's bottom line. I just don't think she's got it. And that's just my assessment. You know, I could be wrong, but I don't think she's got it. And we're now in this point where we're thinking about what are the Democrats really offering the American people? You know, who who's at the top of that? masthead now on the on the democrat party who who are the ones that they're looking to you know this is vote for us because this person this guy this gal will make things happen and it's bernie sanders uh kamala harris i thought it was kamala for a while but i'm told it's kamala so kamala harris um elizabeth warren joe biden at the top of the list of uh presidential contenders but and cory booker so it's booker warren harris and sanders bernie sanders and uh you you hear you're getting a sense of it there from uh, kamala harris um that you know she 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 doesn't like identity politics as a phrase well what are we what is it to be called the democrats explicitly make um, outreach based on one's skin color, uh, sexual orientation, gender identification. They make that an explicit part of the platform. So what? what is that? We, we're, she doesn't like it. And keep in mind, I do think they want to come up with something else, meaning they want to they rephrase identity politics. Liberals play these word games all the time. They say progressive for a while, then they go back to liberal, then they go, once they've polluted one term with their failures, with their lies, they'll move on to another term later. That's why people say, Buck, why do they they go back and forth seesawing between progressive and liberal, progressive and liberal? Well, you know, Hillary back in, I think it was the late 90s, I, you know, self-identified as a progressive. Because liberals in the 90s became something you didn't want to get called, right? And then they switched to, to liberals again under, uh, under the Bush administration. And then the Obama administration, it was, it was progressive. It was sort of safe to be progressive. And, and so they, they're always very into, into changing the terminology and, and using the terminology to their advantage, right, to shifting the terminology so that they are in an advantageous position in the debate. So a, a great example of this is, undocumented versus an illegal alien. I mean, we all know that, right? Undocumented is is garbage, but they, they understand that if they get people to say that, just saying it trains your mind to think of the problem differently. 
identity politics, they realize now it's become people think identity politics, tribalism, toxic. It's got a bad. So they're going to come up with something else. You know, they're going to come up with, you know, diversity coalitionalism or something. I mean, they're they're going to have some new I'm making a prediction here, but they're going to have some new thing that they start to say um, beyond that's that's not identity politics. Uh, You know, I never even got to to get into too much on uh, conversational health, which is an incredibly Orwellian in the in the real sense of it, Orwellian term. That's what Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey recently referred to the Twitter terms of service, which is just. It's censorship. It's it's policing of speech. That's what they're doing now. But they call it conversational health. Oh, do you want to be a, do you want to be against conversational health? No, of course. Health is good. Conversation is good. I don't want to be against conversational health. This is what the Democrats really offer, though. Propaganda in place of arguments, certainly not policies that are going to advance the overwhelming mass of the American people's interests, certainly not policies that are going to bring prosperity and freedom and dare i say happiness to as many americans as possible or at least let them pursue i mean this is really the fundamental difference that even i just stumbled into it let americans pursue their happiness in their own way to foster an environment where you can make the choices to you know to liberals say you do you you can't do you with regulations choking your business you can't do you with people all around you telling you how you can speak and how you can act and the elite media acting like they know so much more than you. No, they don't. No, they don't. They overwhelmingly just report on gossip as though they're running all these great sources, and they're generally lazy. It's an access-driven business, too, by the way, which is why so many folks, even the era of the Internet, are in New York and D.C. That's right. I'm here, too, because i got to compete with the other access access maniacs. Uh, but, but what do the Democrats really offer you? They offer you what Kamala, uh, Kamala Harris said there, which is, playing around with different words, changing the conversation without changing the country or without changing things for the better. Um, or they, they can give you some of the, the usual from the, from the Cuomo side of the, nobody likes it when I give speeches because I sound like a moron. Stuff like that. Here's Cuomo, play eight. I think these guys are bad guys. We'll never Bad get anywhere guy. on this problem. I mean, uh, I was Bad. there. I know the dynamic in Washington. I know it. The Republicans are afraid of the NRA. So afraid. I believe they are an extremist organization. I believe they don't want any progress on gun reform because it would put them out of business. Uh, the majority of gun owners in this country support reasonable gun control, uh, background checks, etc. And I think the NRA frustrates any progress uh, just so they have a, a business line to further. The NRA, like a terrorist organization. Uh, you know, Cuomo has got state regulators. He, Cuomo is, is, is straight up violating the First Amendment, by the way. He's got state regulators in New York who are going after insurance companies using their authority over New York State chartered banks in order to put pressure on any relationships they have with the NRA. And this is the this is pretty much, folks, like, like a government figure saying, well, you know, I think that they should be audited because I don't like them. That's that's about what we're talking. He's putting pressure. He's using his government influence to bring down the executive powers 
of his office against completely legal behavior that he does not like. No one's talking about tyranny or fascism with this one, and maybe they should. But it's because it's the NRA. Again, what what do the Democrats offer you? Identity politics without calling it that. Getting really angry about the NRA as a fund using it as a fundraising tool for their own purposes. They've they keep losing the gun control debate. They don't care. They, they they're going to stay on it. They're going to stay on it. They're going to stay on it. Um, what else do they offer? Oh, that's right. Quasi open borders, a defense of illegal aliens and and the abolition of ICE, and then a bunch of politicians who are uninspiring and have programs that sound cool until they realize they can't pay for them. That's what the Democrats offer. And that's maybe why, maybe, enough of the American people see this for what it is, that they will prove Trump right, who says that, forget about a blue wave, folks, something else coming. Play clip seven. You're going to be very surprised. You know, they're talking about this blue wave. I don't think so. If the Democrats get in, they're going to raise your taxes. You're going to have crime all over the place. You're going to have people pouring across the border. So why would that be a blue wave? I think it could be a red wave. What do the Democrats offer you, folks? Nothing good. Nothing good. Speaking of what Democrats can offer, uh, how about fixing a, a problem of terrible violence in a major, one of the largest cities in the country, Chicago? Um, the The reports from over the weekend out of there, are just jaw-dropping, heartbreaking. It's terrible what's going on. Democrats in charge across the board in Chicago, uh, you know, and and the media, they report on it, but they report on it in a neutral and distant tone. No protests, no outrage. We'll get to that in just a moment. We ask a lot of ourselves, right? You do, I do. You got long days. Whether you're in the office, out in the field, or taking care of the kids, whatever you've got going on, you need to make sure that you are energized for it. And that's where Strike Force Energy comes in. Strike Force is veteran owned and all American made, folks. You need to check this out. It was developed by veterans for one simple reason the fight will always follow you and it waits for no one. I love Strike Force. It's got four different delicious flavors, zero sugar, zero calories, and it gives you the fuel you need to power through your toughest fight. Simply add a little bit of Strike Force liquid to 16 to 20 ounces of water, tea, lemonade, or yogurt, and you'll see for yourself it'll give you that boost. Forget about five hour energy or that other stuff. Try Strike Force for yourself. Go to strikeforceenergy.com. Enter discount code BUCK at checkout. For every packet you buy, they'll donate one to active duty military. So go check it out. StrikeForceEnergy.com. Discount code B-U-C-K. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news. And disseminating information. With actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Chicago, there's too much bloodshed in the African-American community. Do you think Mayor Rahm Emanuel has failed Chicago? Well, Ron Emanuel, first of all, is a con man. 
His whole job is to keep black folks divided. No, he doesn't care about anybody but the people in his neighborhood and his family. The city's in financial calamity. Uh, you know, the, the the organization in the city of Chicago is just complete disarray, no matter which, which angle you want to audit or look at. President Trump recognized that not everyone believes that um, Chicago is a, a Trump-free zone. Chicago over the weekend, folks, had 66 people shot, 12 fatally. That is one weekend. I mean, that is that is like a bad, that's a bad weekend in drug cartel territory in Mexico. That's a bad weekend in Venezuela, which is in a state of anarchy and collapse. You know what I mean? Th- th- these are murder rates that if you were to extrapolate them into a bigger sample size, uh, would would be, you know, I mean, Chicago is is starting to make it on the list with some really scary places, folks. And, uh, you know, I, I have a, a few thoughts on this. I mean, first of all, when you compare how much ink and airtime was spent over the weekend on oh, the Donald Trump eating and Trump Tower and Trump Jr. and all these all these idiot journos salivating over the prospect of Donald Trump Jr. going to prison. Oh, yes, maybe he'll go to prison. Yes. For what? They're, they're hoping for lying under oath. They just want people to go to prison, folks. They don't care about the judicial system. They, they didn't care that, that, that Bill Clinton lied under oath then. They didn't care that Hillary destroyed evidence. They don't care about the rules, really. They just want the people they don't like punished. And if they can leverage the law for that, they will. And so that's why you saw all of the Donald Trump Jr. coverage and the Russia meeting and everything. But I thought the media was supposed to care about minorities. I thought the media was supposed to care about gun violence. Where's the conversation about gun violence here? You know, we've had so much. We've had so much discussion in the last 12 months about uh, people, people are saying are mass shootings when the mass of shootings are occurring in inner cities, in predominantly minority, particularly African-American neighborhoods and are claiming lives at a at a shocking pace. 66 shot, 12 fatally. That's a lot of people getting hit. A 17-year-old girl shot in the face. A 17-year-old boy on a bike also shot. Where is Rahm Emanuel? Where are the police? Where's the media? What's going on here? You know, I remember what it was like being in New York City when it had a couple thousand murders a year. Now it's a couple hundred. It is possible to turn this around. Why can't they turn it around in Chicago? Oh, by the way, not for nothing, Chicago has among the toughest gun laws in the entire country. What a shock. Doesn't doesn't prevent violence. So they, they'll want to talk about gun laws, but that'll get lost. Why is it the gun laws? Chicago and New York, for example, have very similar gun restrictions in that they're extreme. New York has several times the amount of people of Chicago. I think about 4x the amount of people of Chicago. Why is Chicago's murder rate per capita so much higher? Something's going on in that city. And it's on the south side and the west side of the city. And we've got all this data-driven policing and, and you know, comp stats, what they call it in New York, all these different programs and algorithms and, you know, police communications better than ever before. They got body cams. They got vests. They got tackier. I mean, why, why can't they stop the shootings? I'm, I'm not saying stop all of them. Why can't they even bring the number down substantially? You got to look at this, folks, and say maybe the Democratic Party has something to do with it. Maybe a 
soft on crime. Let's let's talk a lot about Black Lives Matter policing or protesting police violence and not talk about crime that involves black men shooting other black men in our inner cities in numbers that are just unacceptable. You know, any any shooting is unacceptable. These numbers are just just unconscionable that that city government isn't taking a more active role. You know, uh, Giuliani's actually out there saying this. He's saying, you know, let's bring in some of the people that turn New York around. And and I think he's right. Chicago clearly can't handle it. They can't figure this out. Just one more note here, folks. Yes, I think it's Democrat Party mismanagement. No question. No question. But also. Think about how the, the focus of the national media. And how this this gets covered, but it gets covered in a in a passing fashion. You know, they're just yeah, this happened. Move on to the next thing. Why isn't this a national crisis? Why isn't there urgency among the journos to stop it? And the answer is because there's no bad guys here that they want to tear into. It's not the NRA. It's not the police. And so the journalists just don't really care. Oh, it's almost like they're biased at the expense of. Talking about a, a crisis where lives are being lost. Again, why we don't trust the journos. The FBI says that home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes out there. Brace yourself, folks, because having your credit card stolen is nothing compared to the hell you're in for once an identity thief takes control of your home's title. You know, you got so much online these days, including your home's title. And the folks at Home Title Lock walked me through my own family home and how easy it would be for the bad guys just online and just doing some simple cutting and pasting and some forgery in order to take out false illegal loans against my family home. If they had the real names and information, the data, I'm telling you, it is jaw-dropping and eye-opening. Don't let it happen to you. For just pennies a day, Home Title Lock protects my most valuable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis. Discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free visit hometitlelock.com again that's hometitlelock.com for a free analysis hometitlelock.com Hello, I'm Dick Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is hitting the campaign trail after visiting the site of a special House election in Ohio last night. President Trump is back at his resort in Bedminster, New Jersey, and already hate-tweeting against journalists. Sources close to the White House told me and White House reporter Caitlin Collins that the president is increasingly worried about his son Don Jr.'s possible legal exposure in the Mueller probe. Hate-tweeting from... uh... The self self proclaimed nonpartisan journalist Jake Jake Tapper there, you know when will journalists admit that that he keeps talking about fake news that the fake news media are the enemy of the American people, and why is it that free speech for people who are not the elite media doesn't count somehow? So, someone want to want to explain that one to me? You know you you have journalists. Backing up Sarah Jong with her racist garbage, right? This New York Times, this new New York Times hire, even worse stuff. We we played that audio for before, uh, but but journalists, you know, they don't have any problem with that. Most of them are completely fine to either not cover it, which is their way of helping to squash the story, which is clearly a national news story now, or they're they're straight up backing her up. But you know, they have more important things 
more important things to spend their time on and and cover for us. The, like like for example, the museum fake news T-shirt. Journalists do suffer from a, a an astonishing degree of snowflakeism. It is true, uh, and I I know this because I spend a lot of time and have spent a lot of time around journalists. Uh, but they are a thin-skinned and almost a psychotically insecure bunch as a whole. Also, some wonderful people as journalists who you know do great stuff, take risks, and are really adding to the national conversation. All right, so that, let's just put that in there too. But overall, journalists, uh, j- journalism is a profession that draws a lot of pretty terrible people. And y- you're seeing this now with, with how they want, y- you know, y- you, you can't make this stuff up. They, they want to uh, make sure that no one is, is latching on to this, fake, this idea of fake news when here's what I think somehow gets passed up all the time. Journalists are the ones who came up with the moniker fake news. So they created this phrase they're the ones they're the ones who made fake news a thing and now that fake news has been turned back on them we're told don't use that phrase we're told that's not cool to say anymore well i'm sorry i was under the impression that fake news was something that you wanted us to talk about now, I mean, they're so lacking in self-awareness. Dan Rather over the weekend uh, tweeted out, whenever I see President Trump rail against fake news or call us the enemy of people, enemy of the people, I think you can't handle the truth. You may not like it, but the press is protected by the Constitution. You know, that document you swore to preserve, protect, and defend. Dan Rather, folks, is the self-proclaimed anti-fake news spokesperson now. A guy who was fired from his incredibly overpaid perch at CBS Evening News for fake news. You can't make this stuff up. You cannot make it up. It's just, they can't help themselves, I guess. I I don't know. This is indeed fake news from, uh, you know, or, or, or Dan Rather is somebody who has peddled fake news and, you know, he, he's out there trying to tell us about how Trump should be using this. You know, you got all these liberals in the in the press who, first of all, they all think that their overwhelming overrepresentation is because they're just so smart and, and gifted. And the truth is that they police access in, and and success in the legacy media as though there's some kind of a country club. All right. This is something that this is a I'm, I'm going to keep repeating this. I want people to know this. They're just like the faculty lounge at a university at a faculty lounge at a university, except they do it in media. Who gets the job? Who gets the raise? Who gets the you know who gets put in the position? Who gets hired? Not conservatives, not conservatives. You know, I mean, I tweeted this out of the weekend. I said the biggest newspaper in the country hires a maniacally spiteful writer who who despises white people. Press defends that, and then an obscure museum. Dedicated to free speech, sells a kitschy T-shirt that says fake news on it. The press condemns it. This is why. This is why we know we can't. Uh, we can't trust them because they prove to us they they we can't trust them. The museum, folks. This is the big the big museum T-shirt controversy. A museum is a museum of news. Pretty self-explanatory, right? Kind of like the spy museum here in D.C. What's that, Bark? What's the spy museum? Well, I could tell you, but I'd have to then make fun of you for asking me a dumb question. 
Uh, but, you know, the museum is, is all about the news media and the First Amendment. And they were selling a You Are Very Fake News t-shirt, which is hilarious. And I'm pretty sure it sold out right away, too. But because the journalist cadre here in D.C. is so thin-skinned, such a bunch of wimps, because of that, the museum had to release the following statement. The museum has removed the You Are Very Fake News t-shirts from the gift shop and online. We made a mistake and we apologize. A free press is an essential part of our democracy, and journalists are not the enemy of the people. Questions have also been raised regarding other merchandise. As an organization that celebrates the rights of people from all political spectrums to express themselves freely, we've historically made all types of political merchandise available for our guests to purchase. That has included former and current presidential slogans and imagery and merchandise from all political parties. We continue to do so in celebration of freedom and speech. Folks, not only are the wimps over at the museum caving to public pressure here over a You Are Very Fake News t-shirt, which is one, funny, and two, really captures the zeitgeist. And they're doing it because journalists are sad. Fake news undermines all the hard work. Oh, my gosh. You know what the truth is? The worst part about working in media is the people who work in media. It's just, it's the truth. The worst part about being in in journalism, broadly speaking, although I would never call myself a journalist and never have, by the way, um, the worst part of of that is being around journalists all the time. They're generally a very self-important, self-righteous, and just second-tier group of people. Just, I'm just telling you the truth. Uh, but that journalists were able to shame the museum into dropping this T-shirt tells you a lot about journalists and about the museum. But then at the museum, is like, but uh, we are going to continue to sell political slogans, including presidential slogans. You, you think? What What's next, folks? Banning Make America Great Again hats? You think that's crazy. You think that's impossible. But, you know, oh, it's fascism. It's fascism, they say. They always have some explanation of how what they're doing is not censorship. Because the left knows censorship bad. They don't like censorship. But they're doing censorship. So how do they get around that? Well, they claim that it's it's not censorship. That's how they do it. That's how they get around this. You know, I, I just, I find it uh, distressing. Distressing, to say the least. And, and I wanted to buy one of those. You are very fake. You know, producer Mike, we, I know we got we got to get our gear stuff up and running here because um, I, 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 I want to start making some of these. T- it'd be great. Think of it. Selling, you, you are very fake news T-shirts. Some of the designs you can go with here. Triggeringlibs.com is a website that I should start. Somebody probably owns the URL already. You know, right now, people are typing in. Fuck, somebody owns triggeringlibs.com. Uh, but. Cause we, or, or owning libs? Producer Mike, what do you think? Can we get owning it's libs? It's so easy to do. It's a money maker. So it's a gold mine. <laughs> Mike's, already, Mike's already there. I think, I think we're on to something here, brother. I think we need to, I think we need to get on this. No let's doubt. See, uh, let's see what happens if, if, there's, if owninglibs.com is something that we can do. Um, because I would love to just do merchandise that triggers libs. It will sell like, it'll sell like hotcakes. And no one's going to shut me down and say, oh, you can... I mean... But they're so the libs are so crazy these days. They'd probably even go for, uh, you know, try to get like PayPal to de- to take you off the you know, take you off their system, or they'll find some way to try to demonetize you. 
But yeah, journalists complained about this. Complained about this. And you even had a, just to give you a sense of how bad this really is, um, it, it, it's a professor, I'm trying to find this guy. Oh yeah, a professor of journalism, some guy named Jeff Jarvis, never heard of him before. He tweeted out, okay, this is a professor of journalism. Just shut the museum down. The museum is so apparently desperate, it sells fake news t-shirts. Appalling, disgusting, idiotic. And then he wrote, Museum said the merch is an example of how the museum tries to foster an environment that encourages free speech. What BS, although he didn't write BS. Then why not sell Q Anon shirts, InfoWars hats, and KKK uh, hoods? Jesus. Folks, that was that was the commentary of a of a journalism school professor and in New York City, Craig Newmark J School. I don't know what that is, but first of all, don't ever go to journalism school. It's the biggest waste of money and time I've I've heard of in higher education. I'd rather get a women and gender studies advanced degree because at least I'd have funny stories to tell. Journalism school, you know how to write, you know how to think, go do it. There's no there's no need for J school, and everyone I know who goes to J school knows that. Um, or has been to J school, but th- this guy doesn't, he just doesn't believe in the notion that there should be free expression that includes expression that people don't like, or that, and that brings about, you know, he, he's going to say that you are fake news is the equivalent of the KKK. So is this now the argument you see the, the left that they only want it. They only go in, in a couple of ways. One is there are no standards. Right, so so you could say absolutely anything about anything. They'll they'll play that game until it comes up against something they don't like, and then they want to. Then they say, "Oh no no no, we've got standards," or they'll say that everything is Hitler. Everything is you know it might as well be the KKK. It basically is the KKK. It basically is Hitler. You know, well, what I want to talk about immigration policy in this country. Oh my gosh, you're basically Hitler. Would you allow Hitler to talk about immigration policy? I mean, these are the idiotic arguments but they come from people who are supposed to be smart they're not smart that's you've got to remember that's part of the elitist journo panic that's going on right now they they don't they're losing their power because you're figuring out we are figuring out the american people are figuring out more and more that they have no special magic that they are just party to a lie that they are nonpartisans. that they do not have an agenda and that if they weren't friends with the right people and working at legacy media institutions, that they had to com- compete on a flat and fair platform, they got nothing. They got nothing. That's really their worst nightmare. And Trump is pointing that out too all the time, We're calling them fake news. So anyway, we got to start our we got to start our ownthelibs.com. Uh, we'll be right back. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. So what can happen when a mayor decides to give the the blessing of his office, essentially, to a bunch of anarchists? Well, you can have what you got in Portland recently, my friends. You had a, a mob that had camped out in a lot of days with 100 degree heat. This mob had camped out behind the U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Field Office in Portland, Oregon. 
He had up to 200 people that were there demanding the abolition of ICE. Did you see this covered anywhere, by the way? Anyone talking about this? And you may say, oh, Buck, but it's not it's not really that uh, that interesting. Is Well, no, it is. It is. And you know that, and I know that. Why isn't the national media covering this? Oh, because they don't want to talk about how there are leftists. That's right, leftists. Bernie Sanders voters to a man, I'd be willing to bet, and woman. Uh, but they had signs up calling ICE employees Nazis and white supremacists. That's right. They're calling them Nazis and white supremacists. Uh, they also accused them of running a concentration camp. And the federal workers who were going in and out uh, were left on their own. Uh, they had people showing up at their homes, plastering flyers on them, accusing them of being part of a Gestapo. Okay, so so they had ICE employees that were followed to their homes, folks. These are federal law enforcement officers followed from their homes with no help from a local police whatsoever. Democratic, we got, well, that's from the, we'll get into that in a second. Democratic, oh, we do have it. Okay, well, here's some of the exchanges that went on. Play that. ICE is, is the modern-day American Gestapo. No more ICE! We cannot stand by immoral or unjust agencies. I'd call them a bunch of dumb, filthy hippies, but they give hippies a bad name. These hippies were into free love and, you know, pot brownies. I mean, this crew, they're they're anarchists, really. And they don't even know what a, a true anarchist believes, but they just want to complain. They want a virtue signal and they want to leave needles and and urine and feces behind in their campsite, which is now being uh, cleaned up courtesy of the taxpayer by an environmental hazard team. This is all in Portland, Oregon, folks. An environmental hazard squad has to come in to clean up all this mess with used needles and feces and urine and God knows what else there. And they need a police escort because they don't want to be attacked. Because the Democrat mayor, no surprise here, Democrat mayor Ted Wheeler, who doubles as police commissioner, oh my gosh, he tweeted up, quote, I do not want the Portland police to be engaged or sucked into a conflict, particularly from a federal agency that I believe is on the wrong track. If ICE is looking for a bailout from this mayor, they are looking in the wrong place. Uh, they, by the way, this mob also didn't want journalists to expose what they were doing. So they would harass journalists. And now there was, over just this past weekend, some uh, anarchists also in Portland who tried to counter protest, which is another way of saying lay in wait and ambush, physically assault. A, a bunch of guys who are, I know, they're written out, they say they're white nationalists. I don't even know who they are. I, I've never heard of them before. I don't know what their platform is. But I don't care what your platform is. People aren't allowed to show up with sticks and beat you with them because you're saying something in public about politics. We've been through this, but the left rejects it. You know, the, the radicalism of the left is now so grotesque. And I don't just mean because the feet, you know, because the poop and the, the pills and the used needles and everything at this Portland encampment. But it, it, it this this festering boil on the American body politic of hardcore progressivism and this this radical fringe element the media is now complicit in trying to cover this up because they know if normal americans see what's going on in portland 
They're not going to want to put these people in power. They're not going to be sympathetic to what they're trying to do. So what do they do? They don't cover it. You know, what do they do? They make sure that this isn't a national story. The T-shirt that the museum is selling is a national news story, but this is not a national news story. Abolish ICE, calling ICE officers Nazis and and attacking uh, protesters and journalists alike as part of the Antifa movement. Crazy. I'll stay on this. We got roll call coming up. The show ain't over yet, folks. Here's where you take over. Keeping it real. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Woo! Yeah! Team, I missed you over the weekend. I got to hang out with Miss Molly, which was fun. She's still with me here in D.C. She has to go away for work for a few days, though, so I'll be, I'll be bored then. But it means I'll get a lot of work done, which is good for this show. Also, those of you who didn't get a chance, uh, on Facebook.com slash Buck Saxon, I had, uh, had a visit from my uncle, my dad's brother, who is all about freedom, lives in a small town, Virginia, and is a carpenter and a locksmith. And he came and visited, hung out with me and Miss Molly for a while. He brought his really cute yellow lab. And we uh, we got to, he essentially gave me some of, some family heirlooms. But my favorite thing were these hand carvings. One of them is a giant bald eagle with like wings extended. And uh, that is going to be prominently displayed in the uh, currently under construction Freedom Hut DC Part 2. So I've got all kinds of fun things. Uh, woodworking people that actually make things with their hands i'm i'm uh, very impressed by it because i am not the best at that cooking i can do cooking i can do so uh, if that's considered working with your hands i guess but but uh and hanging things off you know i'm actually good with that you know maybe i'm better at the interior design part than the carpentry part i don't know if that's something i need to get into more details with right now nonetheless Nonetheless, uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And uh, this is what we got on roll call. Hey, Buck. This is from Daniel. Just heard you on Friday in the podcast. You were asking for suggestions for the Freedom Hut, and I suggest Kennedy. Love her, and you've been on our show already, so she should reciprocate. I think it would be great. Shields high, as always. Daniel, I love that idea. It's a great suggestion. I'm a big uh, fan of Kennedy's in general. Uh, she's a really talented host and also just a really cool, smart, nice person. Uh, the only issue is whether Fox will allow her to do my show, uh, which can sometimes on the corporate level, it, it can be a bit of a, because people have to ask for permission based on their contract. So I don't know. Long way of saying I'll ask and we'll see if we can get it done in time. Next up here, Bob writes, uh, catching up on my podcast, your movie quote on August 2nd was from There's Something About Mary. Bob, you are correct, sir. You are correct. I know everybody with the movie quotes are kind of on the honor system. You know, they, I, I get it, right? Because technically you could listen to the show and then send me, but that would be no fun for anyone. That's not how we want to do things. Uh, but yes, Bob, you are right. Absolutely. Now, 
next up here? Hold on a second. I'm I'm making it happen, team. I'm making it happen. Uh, Amy, who writes, Hey, Buck, some thoughts about your TV show. If Crystal Ball, uh-oh, is uh, unable to control her bias and continues to get in her liberal barbs, how does the show continue? If she does not follow the format of the show, it creates an imbalance. Doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of the show? I'm guessing she agreed to this format, but she isn't following it and doesn't seem to care. Also, watching the formidable Buck Sexton sit back while she runs the show off the rails is hard. We know you could crush her under a million pounds of logic, not asking you to do that. It just seems like in typical progressive fashion, she thinks the rules don't apply to her. P.S. I know you maintain composure and restraint because you respect the because you respect the uh, agreements you make. It's just hard to watch. Amy. Yeah, Amy, I'm I'm uh, I, I agreed to a left right show, um, which those of you who remember back in the day was similar to say what uh, Hannity and Combs had. And uh, it is not an easy balance because um, I, 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 I got to show up and do the same show with my same with my co-host every day. And if anybody feels like they're being disrespected or they get a little um, agitated with the situation, it just makes working together that much harder. So I end up uh, having to take the high road a lot. And we'll see how it goes. As I've as I've told you all, this is experimental. We're trying to do something other than, you know, the initial pitch. I mean, the reason I came there are two reasons I came to D.C. One is to get real swamp access, which is happening, which is good. I now have contacts all over the district that are able to bring me firsthand information about national news stories. And also, I can tell you that the job that all these people do, oh, I'm a serious journalist. They sit down to these interviews. I can do those in my sleep. I just don't spend a lot of time doing that because I'd rather do three hours of radio and really get into stuff and not read questions that somebody else. Although I've I've done interviews with people, including uh, uh the Jeff Sessions interview, which we've kind of launched the show with, the TV show, and they're always surprised that I don't have notes, like th- something that I'm reading off of for the questions. I don't need notes. That actually happened when I was with the Blaze at the New Hampshire primary, where you had Rubio and Rand Paul and Ted Cruz and all these people, and, and a couple of those candidates noted said, "You don't have notes you carry in your hand for the interview? No, I don't need notes. Not but for not for you're a smart guy." Exactly. Who even said that? I don't even know. What, what was that drop you just put in there? Oh, somebody said that to me in an interview. All right, I'll take it. I don't, but who was that? I don't remember who that was. Anyway, you're Buck, you're a smart guy. That was nice. Whoever said that. Was that one of our... Oh, Louis Gomer, wasn't it? It was Louis Gomer, right? Buck, you're a smart guy. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Yeah, Louis Gomer. I like Louie. He's a nice guy. He's a good man. Anyway, yeah, look, guys, if, if you want if you want someone who's going to own the libs, like I said, the Hill.TV model right now is not for you. There might be, there's already talk of doing a National Security Weekly spinoff, possibly. So there may be some future projects that I can get you guys excited to check out. But uh, we do have some fun. I mean, I, I think it's worth checking out what we do on the show. Some segments are just the liberal host. Some segments are just the conservative host. So occasionally you'll see just me doing an interview. And sometimes also true of my co-host, Crystal. But guys, these days it's very hard because the predominant left-wing argument that you'll come across is that Trump needs to go to prison. You know, it's, it's not that there's some difference on policy and that we can all, if we all just got past some of our, uh, you know, short-term thinking on the debt or deficit, we could, no, no, no. It's, it's they want Trump to go to prison. And that's common. I mean, that's 
widespread. You're seeing that from some of the major uh, places. Um, anyway, uh, that that's what we'll, we'll see what ends up happening there. Oh, we'll see what ends up happening. It's been an interesting experiment so far, though. John writes, hey, Buck, love the show. Progressivism is not good. Shields high. Um, okay. Thank you very much, John. I appreciate that. And yes, I agree. TJ writes, Buck, I watched the Cornell Williams Brooks interview, the, uh, William Brooks interview this morning on Rising. I think he's wrong about voter IDs. He seems to have this mentality, the more open and laid back you make voting, the more people will show up. uh, Parishes within the Catholic Church have had the same mentality at times to increase attendance, and I do not think it ever bodes well. This is an analogy, not an appeal to make voting like church, but much like the church. The more we stick to tradition, the more strict we make the church teachings, the more responsive people are. With this in mind, in regards to voting, I think that tightening up the voter ID laws and shortening early voting would actually bolster turnout. Personally, the idea that someone cannot make it to a poll during a 12-hour period is outrageous. Shortening early voting to maybe a week ahead and enforcing voter ID laws would bring a sense of urgency to voting, and people will actually feel more obligated to vote. That's all I got, Shield Tie. Well, TJ, you're a very smart man. I think your arguments are uh, very coherent and uh, sensible, and uh, I largely I largely agree with all your points. So, you know, look, the, the left just... They, refu- they don't think voter fraud is real, which is amazing because you look back at LBJ and others and they won elections with voter fraud. So historically, voter fraud is very real. And the notion that it's not occurring today just seems to fly in the face of logic. But uh, they, they don't want us to have the data to work with. That's part of it. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think that if you make it too wide open, people lose a certain respect for voting and what goes on with it. Um, I think you make a, make a good point. Harry writes, you are truly a saintly gentleman with the patience of Job. Crystal went into the D'Souza interview with Fangs Baird and hackles up. Look at her body language, arms and legs tightly crossed. Every day I marvel at how you don't run screaming for the set when Crystal and her comrades spew their blather. Keep up the good fight, Harry. Harry, I'm, I'm, Crystal is very progressive, you know, and I'm I'm having a morning political and really a morning news conversation with somebody who is a committed progressive every day, which is look, I, she knows I'm a they call me a hardcore conservative. I mean, that's which I, is not a not an inaccurate description. So how we've made it work this far this well is a testament, I think, to both hosts in the sense that no one else is doing this. I mean, so that's in a sense you got to remember that we're not we're not posing ourselves as a centrist show. The show is a progressive and a down the line, straight up conservative uh, having a a discussion about all the different things going on. It's not easy to do. It's not not something that I'll be honest. Not a lot of people could pull it off, to be honest with you. So it's definitely, definitely hard. Um Steve writes, hey, Buck, if your listenership is a family, consider me a crazy uncle. If you enjoy reading about conquistadors, I recommend you read Gary Jennings' Aztec. The story is told from the point of view of a high-caste Aztec telling Inquisitors about his life. It's a journey from his youth to the first sight of Cortez's ships, but well worth every word, some of which are Nahuatl. Keep reading. I'll keep listening from Steve. Steve, that's a very interesting suggestion. Thank you for making it. I'm really enjoying my book on Cortez. I'm almost finished with it. It's kind of my night reading before I fall asleep. So I take my time with those books. I'm not trying to rip through it for uh, research purposes. Um, so 
that is uh, a book that I'll check out. You know, The Gates of Fire by Pressman is, I'm somebody who doesn't usually get excited about historical fiction. I thought that book was incredible. Was incredible. Uh, it, it, you know, there are very, it's very rare that I pick up a book and I, and I say, this is, as, this is as good as watching a really well-written, you know, fast-paced TV show or movie. Gates of Fire is actually in that category for me. It's that good. So that's, of course, about the 300 and the pass at Thermopylae. All right, team, that's going to be it for the hut for today. You are the best, as always. Thanks for hanging out here. Please check out the Freedom Hut podcast from last week with our friend Rahim Kassam. Much more coming tomorrow and every day this week. But until I get a chance to chat with you, you've got your orders. Shields high.